I'm Dave Agnoni, editor of Counselor, and today we continue our coverage of the 2019 State of the Industry Report. To break down more data, I'm joined by Bob Herzog, CEO of Top 40 Distributor Corporate Imaging Concepts. Bob, thanks for your time. Okay, happy to be here. So, Bob, I first want to talk about profit margins. The data continues to show that distributor margins on average are going up. They're now about 36.5%. Meanwhile, average supplier margins, though, are going the other direction. They're down closer to 30%. Why do you think this is happening? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think there's a lot of things at play here. So let's start with the distributor side. So I think over the last, you know, six, seven years, uh, Dave, I've seen a pretty big change with all of the distributor peers that I talk to and meet at industry events. And really, and it, the change is around awareness of uh, their P&L, their profit margins, their expenses to a, to a degree that you just didn't see years ago. So people know what, what EBITDA is. They know it in, in great detail. Um, a lot of that, I think, has to do with, with the influence of private equity in our industry, where people, even if you're not interested in selling, you're interested in wondering what your business might be worth, so you learn about, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I think once you have the awareness, then it just kind of opens your eyes to opportunities to improve things, right? And, and I think uh, that, that's been the biggest change I've seen on the distributor side. Um, and, and I think it's been a little bit of an untapped potential there that's now coming to fruition. You know, you go over to the supplier side, um, I think they have a lot of things at play there that, that kind of make it tough. So, you know, I, the way I look at it is that, that that supplier side of the industry is almost like a zero-sum game for those guys. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means if you're a supplier, because I, I was a supplier, I ran Bull Line for seven years, um, if you want to grow, you're pretty sure you have to take that business away from another supplier. Yep. Right, and that that's that's really challenging, and it's tough to do, and it can be done, but it requires big investments. So I, I think what you're seeing on the supplier side, and I, and I see it here because they come visit me all the time, is they're investing heavily to increase share of wallet and market share in the industry, and the investment comes in lots of ways. Like some some suppliers have increased their sales reps on the street. Some have increased their rebates. Some have increased their marketing funds and, and their cooperation with us around marketing. You know, we see a lot more product-type specials. So I, I see it's, it's kind of a couple things working. At the same time, the distributors become a lot sharper at running their businesses, and I think the suppliers, uh, the competition is getting tougher and tougher, and they're investing heavily to grow share wallet and market share. You just mentioned rebates, and I think rebates are definitely part of this. Do you think that's a factor? Maybe suppliers are getting squeezed by distributors when it comes to rebates? Um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You're an honest I mean, man. I'm not, yeah, I, I, again, I've been on both sides of the street, so I absolutely think they get squeezed. Um, but, you know, as a distributor, we, we know what's market competitive for a rebate, yeah. um, right? So, and um, and I think all the suppliers kind of know what market competitive rebates are. So I, I think everybody kind of gets a market competitive rebate, and it depends on and who you are, what you buy, and how big you are, right? So the bigger you are, clearly that's, that's easier to get those rebates uh, than when you're smaller. But, yeah, no, there's a squeeze, but it, I, I think it's kind of found common ground, and I haven't seen that number move a lot over the last, Four or five years. Okay. Let's move on. Another big topic, Bob, of course, tariffs. 
data shows yeah. there's great concern over the impact of tariffs on product prices. Is the high concern justified? And, you know, what's your take overall on how much tariffs are affecting promo right now? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of two takes, and, and my second take I've been wrong before, but I'm going to stick okay. with it. But the, the first one is, should we be concerned? I think absolutely, um, and, and I'll tell you why. So I, I was in the industry in 08 and 09 and managed a business through the recession, and I think what we all learned is that if there's a bump in the road of the U.S. economy, um, companies can cut their spend for promotional items pretty quickly. Yeah. If a company's having financial trouble and you bring everybody into a room looking to cut expenses, our expense is pretty easy to cut. And then if it does get cut, it comes back more slowly than others, I think. Right. So I think we need to be cognizant of that because at some point, you know, tariffs are going to impact the cost of promotional items. I mean, there's just no way around it. And if uh, the cost of promotional items is going up, higher or faster vis-a-vis other ways for companies to spend marketing budgets, then, then there's a danger. They may shift their spend, right? And if they shift, they, they may not come back. So I, I think we should always be concerned about that. My second part of it is, look, I, I am still a believer that we're going to come to terms with China okay. just because there's so much at stake. And sure. uh, I've been wrong before. Um, this so far this year, but I'm going to stick with that prediction. I think we're going to find a way to work this out. And when we do, I, I think it's going to be uh, great for our industry for probably the next year. Is there anything specifically, Bob, that you guys are doing to mitigate mitigate the impact of tariffs? Anything distributors can do on your end? Um, you know, we've been clear with our customers that we're, we're going to share in the burden of tariffs with them. Okay. Um, so that, that's that's part of it, uh, and I think the suppliers have done a great job of that with us as well. Um, and then try to be creative in where and what you source. So it's really hard to source products that don't come from China, but you can do that. So we try to be very transparent with our customers. Like there are other product options that we could go to that that really aren't sourced from China. You know, but it might not be the household name you're used to. It might not be the product you're used to. So we do have that discussion, and I would say so far customers are still kind of sticking to giving me the products that I'm used to having, and we'll pay the price for a while. Okay. Another interesting finding, I think, from our research is that 25% of distributors prefer to buy from a supplier that sells both apparel and hard goods. Do you think, Bob, that this consolidated spend is a, a passing trend, or is it really the future? No, I think it's definitely the future. Okay. You know, and I would say from our perspective, I don't, I don't know if we so much as look for suppliers that can do both hard goods and apparel. We just look to consolidate spend with suppliers that that we like and we have a good relationship with, right? So, so what does that look like for us? Um, you know, the suppliers got to uh, have decent pricing. Um, We've got to get some sort of a rebate from them. I won't, you know, won't hide behind that. We've got to get a rebate. Uh, and then they have to have good service. So they, they've got to ship on time, and they've got to have inventory stock most of the time. Um, and that that's what we try to do is, is centralize our spend there. I think more and more distributors are figuring out, you know, it's so much easier to run your company if you deal with 50 suppliers versus 
500 suppliers. And we can laugh at the 500 number, but <laughs> it's it's pretty easy to do business with 500 suppliers because there, there there are a lot of them out there. So I see the consolidation continuing to happen. It's it's really good for business um, to streamline as much as possible, and we urge our sales reps to use our preferred vendor list. And we, we update our preferred vendor list every month. So, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I get suppliers coming in, how do we get on your list? And, you know, we talk about that. And if you get on the list, we're going to urge people to use you. But, you know, I, it, it, and so I, I would say it's just a, it's a concept where you're consolidating spend with fewer suppliers more than a hard goods uh, apparel thing gotcha. to me. Okay. Yet another trend we've been seeing, uh, more distributors than ever are part of buying groups. It's about one in five distributors now. Bob, are buying groups good for promo or not? I think they're great for promo. Um, you know, you look at the industry statistics, Dave, and I haven't seen the latest number for how many distributors there are, right? Tens of thousands. Sure. Uh, right? So there's only, you know, 30, maybe 40 that are big enough to get get the benefits of uh, working with suppliers via rebates and terms and all that stuff. So, you know, that leaves tens of thousands of distributors out there that uh, left to their own devices would have a really tough time. So I think it's great for them to band together to form the buying groups and kind of get the same benefits that we get as, as a larger distributor. And the other thing that, that I think that I've seen, because I've got a lot of buddies that run distributors that are part of buying groups that, is that, you know, most of them do a pretty good job sharing best practices okay. in a fairly non-competitive way, right? Like partners getting together in a room to talk about best practice sharing, et cetera. Uh, so I think it's fabulous for a distributor to be part of buying groups. How about for a smaller supplier, though, that maybe has a unique product line that can't get in the, on those preferred lists of distributors? Maybe it's not such a great thing uh, for those companies. You, you agree? Or, or how, what do you feel there? You know, I, I think um, the smaller supplier, I, I think smaller suppliers and distributors both, you just need to be really sharp about who you are. Okay. Right? What, who you are and what's your value in the marketplace. Right? And if, if you've done your homework and you've clearly thought that out and you know the competitive landscape, I, I think you're going to be fine. Right? So I talked earlier about us trying to uh, use a smaller list of suppliers, et cetera. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'll probably still send POs to 200-plus suppliers this year. Okay. Dave, even though maybe maybe only 40 or 50 are preferred, and, and it's exactly what you're talking about. It's smaller guys that provide a niche, you know, or fill the niche very nicely where the bigger guys can't. Sure. Okay. Again, I'm joined by Bob Herzog, CEO of Corporate Imaging Concepts. Bob, education and healthcare remain the top two markets for promo sales. It's been that way for a long time. What other markets are ones to watch for growth? Do you think? Uh, well, I, I can tell you where we've we've kind of gone lately. We we really like technology companies okay. um, for for a host of reasons. So typically, the tech companies uh, internally have really good margins. Uh, which means they're they're a little bit more open-minded about spending money on promo. Uh, so it's a little bit of an easier sell with a company that's got a really good margin. And, you know, lately we've had some luck, uh, you know, in the last six to nine months, we've probably signed up probably like a half a dozen startups. Okay. So what we found, Dave, is, is startups 
uh, are very aggressive in trying to get their name and logo out in the marketplace and are very aggressive in uh, spending money on promo. Mm-hmm. Whether they're trying to hire new employees or develop new customer relationships, et cetera, they're they're very aggressive in spending a promo. So I'd say technology, and in any kind of a startup situation, you can find are, are great avenues for a distributor to increase uh, market share. Is there one secret you could share for making a, a good pitch to a startup? Um, really good question. I think. You need to educate them about what you're getting for your promo dollar. And I think it's one of the most underused statistics in our industry where uh, a promo item gets touched like 125 times before it gets discarded. Right. So you, you, you're sitting with a startup that can't, they just can't get their name out there fast enough. And you start talking about, you know what, this this item here, whatever it is, is going to get touched 125 times before it gets discarded. I mean, their eyes kind of light up because hmm. now you're talking the concept like brand impressions. Brand impressions for your marketing dollar, which is what we want to do because we think we stack up really nicely compared to, you know, any kind of print or other media uh, spend they may use. Sure. We really can't talk about the market unless we bring Amazon into this into the discussion. I feel like it's a requirement uh, every time. Uh, our survey shows the majority, uh, the vast majority, in fact, of distributors, about 80%, think Amazon will either buy a distributor or buy a supplier over the next five years. Bob, do you agree or disagree with that? I disagree. Okay. And I'll tell you why. So so Amazon is, is one of our customers. Um, I won't tell you how much money we do, but it's <laughs> in the millions. Right. Um, and you know, my, my perspective before we started doing business with Amazon was one of fear. Um, and if you watch Amazon work, I mean, they're, they're very impressive. You can't help but admire them. You know, when they put their mind to something, they just go do it and they do it on a really big scale and they do it very well. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that would give any business or industry pause to, uh, to be concerned. Uh, so we start doing business with them, and, you know, I'm out there probably four times a year, and my impression, you know, a couple years into this is, is quite a bit different. So um, I think when Amazon goes somewhere, you know, they take their model with them, and their model is fulfillment, right? Off-the-shelf fulfillment, nobody's better. Um, so that that's the base model that they've done, and I, I think, you know, they bought the Whole Foods, and, you know, my, my lovely wife uses Whole Foods to uh, order groceries <laughs> that get delivered to our house once in a while when we're running short of time. Right. And, it, you know, it's groceries, but it's kind of the same thing. Somebody's going to a shelf, they're picking something up, they're consolidating it, and they're delivering it, right? Yeah. So when you get into this promo area, um, I think Amazon realizes the complexity of putting this unique logo on this unique item in this unique spot on this item um, and all of the kind of customer uh, interface to make that go well. I'm not sure they have any interest in, in doing that. Interesting. So, you know, everybody we meet when we meet new people at Amazon, um, you know, I just see no interest in, in taking that on now. Again, if they wanted to, they could because they could do anything because they've got more resources than I think any company in in the United States. I just don't think they have any interest in getting into the custom part of our business. And um, I think they recognize that it's challenging, right? I mean, this, this 
this logo imprinting and you know it's it's custom and it's very challenging and and I don't have any concern that they're going to come into the industry anytime soon. Okay. Um, so and and the other thing you know the statistic I heard a while ago. You know, our industry, whatever number you can affix to the sales, Dave, I don't know, $24, $25 billion. Right. Amazon spends more than that with, with UPS and FedEx a year. <laughs> right. Right? So, you know, I think they're going to look for where, where can I go and, and uh, invest my time and resources to get a payback. Well, we, we've seen it, right? They, they took a, a step into the delivery business, and, uh, you know, FedEx recently came out and said they're no longer going to service Amazon. So I, I, I used to be afraid. Um, I'm not afraid. Now, ask me that question again in five years. I may have a different <laughs> answer, but right now uh, I'm not concerned, and I would say my opinion's informed by, you know, meeting and dealing with a lot of Amazon people. Okay. We'll hold you to that in five, in five years. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we all need to hold each other to it because if that turns out to be wrong, yeah. I'll be the first one to feel it. So. I, I hear you. You and me both. All right, Bob, last question. Uh, give me your forecast for our market uh, for the rest of 2019 and look ahead to 2020. What are you thinking? Yeah, and I'm going to base this again on, on my expectation that we get this China tariff thing resolved. But I think uh, second half of the year will be uh, up 4% as an industry. And I think uh, next year will be up uh, probably between 4 and 4.5% 4 and as an industry. I, I think... Uh, we get rid of the tariff situation with China. I think there is a little bit of pent-up demand out there, and I think it's going to flow through our industry. And uh, I'm kind of bullish on the rest of this year and next year. So it sounds like you don't think a recession is imminent. Gosh, I don't. Okay. I just don't. That's good. Hey, I'd love to hear that. There are some people in your role at other companies that tell me it's going to happen next year. It's it's just cyclical. It's got to happen. We're overdue. So I'm glad to hear that I, you're look, on the opposite side. I think side. We, we all hear those comments, Dave, and yep. we, we understand the logic of, of all those comments. But, you know, we've been hearing that for a couple of years now, right? Like, sure. we're overdue, we're overdue. And so then you start looking at, okay, what, what are the factors? And I think there's a lot of people that have a lot at stake in making sure the economy just keeps humming. And I've, I've heard guys on the radio from the Federal Reserve that says, look, Recessions don't have to happen, right? I mean, yeah. if typically go back and analyze a recession, there are factors that could have been prevented to stop it, and I, I guess I'm subscribing to that theory right now. All right. I hope you're right. There it is. You have it. Bob <laughs> Herzog. <laughs> Well-informed. Thank you for joining me, Bob. Be sure to check out the complete State of the Industry report in the July issue of Counselor and on ASICentral.com slash news. Thanks to Bob again, and thank you for listening. Everybody have a great day.